0: we read, we remember that this is God's Word. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the Word of God and prayer." If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve, uh, per, sorry, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. We trust that God will. Bless His Word to us.
1: Let's the First Timothy chapter four as we make our way through this passage. And just to remind us where we've been, we had harvest in between, so maybe we've lost our place a little bit. In chapter three, we had the qualifications of an overseer or, or an elder, as we know, people to be called, and then of the deacons, and then we break into chapter four. And there is a a slight change. Uh, Timothy is being addressed. You'll see it in chapter 3, verse 14. There's a change there. Uh, uh, And uh, Paul really writes then to Timothy and into this chapter uh, to concern the things that are going on in the church. Now, we know the, the situation Uh, someone's cooking a meal at home. It's around dinner time. You're sitting on the sofa and you're watching the chase and the phone starts to ring and it's their phone. This is the the person who has been doing all of the cooking to this point. Uh, And their phone begins to ring and they say to you, I really got to take this. You keep an eye on the dinner you're thinking to yourself, keep an eye on the dinner. <laughs> if you're like me, that means I don't have a clue what's going on, right? I don't know what we're making. I don't know what's in the oven. I just about know how to turn the oven on. That might be an exaggeration. Okay, I do know how to do that. But you hear those words, keep an eye on it. And you think, oh my goodness, how am I going to be able to do this? And so you think, right, I'll get the oven gloves out. And you get the oven gloves out. And you open the oven and you sort of look at the thing and it's there. And you maybe take it out and you turn it around and put it back in again. And the conversation goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on. And you think, oh my goodness, I'm going to ruin this. This is going to be destroyed. And so you get your oven gloves back on and you look at it this time. And it's kind of, if you're being generous, it's going a, a burnt orange color, okay? Maybe turning slightly more brown, black around the edges. And you think, I am dead. The person that has constructed this all is going to kill me. And then eventually they manage to hang up the phone. They come in and say, well... Did you keep an eye on it? And you said, well, yeah, I think so. And then they opened the oven and said, what were you doing? The whole thing's destroyed. You've, you've messed it all up. And, well, I didn't know. How what was I supposed to do? I didn't know you hadn't left me any instructions other than me watching the chase and then the next thing you disappear in. A whole handling, as we would say, out of our neck of the woods. Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. Well, as Paul writes to Timothy here in chapter 4, what's he effectively telling Timothy? Keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on the church. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, the Spirit says that in these later times, and that should send the alarm bells off in our mind. It should turn the light bulb on for us. Later times, we should translate as, be vigilant. Keep an eye on. Be on your guard. Why? Well, look at verse 1. There are people who are going to come who will deceive. So Paul writes here to Timothy, and he tells him to watch out. Not because he thinks that false teachers are going to come, but because the Holy Spirit, see how it begins, verse 1 begins, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. And so we're here tonight at church, and perhaps we're a little bit like that image of being on the sofa watching the chase, and we're thinking, what am I meant to do? We hear these words, keep watch, keep an eye on it. What are we meant to do tonight? Well, we're going to see three simple things detect error, declare truth, and demonstrate godliness. Detect error, declare truth, and demonstrate godliness. Now, before we make it to our first point, let's fold back a little bit and go to chapter 3 and verse 15, again, just to set the scene. Paul writes and he says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This verse really could be described as the center verse of this letter, what the whole aim of the letter is about. And so the church is of vital importance. The significance of the church of the living God, here in this letter, Paul's trying to teach that it has to work. And it has to work, and it means that we have to be part of that work because Jesus saved the church for himself. There's no plan B. This is God's way to reach the world. Christ has founded the church, Matthew 16. Christ has died for the church, Ephesians 5. He calls the church his bride in John chapter 3. And then he calls the church his own body in Acts 9 and in Ephesians 5. So what we're trying to establish here is that the church is not irrelevant. And it's not optional for those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go then into chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5. The first point, detect error. Detect error. The best mechanics, I think, in the world are those who, whenever they get your car, seem to fix it for the next year. They're able to detect the problems that are going to arise And they prevent them from happening. Although whenever you get the bill, you think to yourself, well, whenever I was driving the car, there was no noise coming from the front left spring. There was no noise coming from the back left of the car. All of these things that have to be done. But I'm going to give mechanics the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing. The best mechanics in the world change the part, change the problem, suss it out before it arises. And the best maintenance engineers know which part of the machines that they're looking after that need to be changed Before they need to be changed, they can sniff out a problem before it comes to the surface. And parents are a little bit like this, aren't they? Whenever we have, perhaps not anymore, but whenever I was younger and our cousins were over, and maybe we're in the back room and we're playing and everything's going well, and then there's silence from us because something that clearly hasn't gone too well, something's either gone massively wrong, an ornament's broken, or someone's injured. And what happens in that moment, our parents, it's almost like they have a sixth sense. They know that there's something up. They can smell the problem. They they know there's something wrong. There's an error. There's something wrong that's happening. And so similarly it is in the church. We are meant to be ready. We're meant to sniff out the problem. We're meant to expect it to come. And so tonight, when we encounter this in chapter 4, false teachers, we shouldn't be surprised. The Spirit makes it clear here in verse 1 that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith, and what are they going to do? They're going to chase after demonic illusions put forward by professional liars. Now as we talk about false teaching here tonight, if you're like me, sometimes whenever we talk about that, we think that that is not relevant to us. We think it only happens in the higher echelons of society that false teachers only only emerge from Oxford and from Cambridge whenever they get their PhD and they, they write a book. But Paul's writing to Timothy here at a church in Ephesus, a small, local church. And in Acts chapter 20, what does Paul write? He writes to this church and to the elders and he tells them that men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure disciples into following them. This is relevant for us here tonight at Hill Street. And so the message is, beware, keep watch, keep an eye on it, be on your guard. And so let's illustrate this with an example a little bit closer to home. In May 2009, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland decided that it was in order for an Aberdeen congregation to proceed with the call of a minister who was living in a homosexual relationship with another man. And so in the Church of Scotland, that vote came to the General Assembly, and the vote passed 326 to 267 votes. And an author, David Randall, writes this, the fallout has been considerable. It represents a clear departure from the attitude to the Bible that has been professed by the denomination as well as by the worldwide church, worldwide church over centuries. See this? How does this emerge? How does it come to the fore? Well, it has to begin somewhere. It has to begin in a little seed form, an error in someone's heart, a detection that, has gone, that hasn't been detected, a little problem that hasn't been picked up on. And so there's a story told, I'm not sure if this story's true, but I came across it. It might be true. A story's told that in a multi-story office building, the managing director was on the 42nd floor. And there he is in his beautiful office, panoramic views right around. But he starts to notice that there are little cracks in the wall. And over time, these cracks are getting slightly worse. And so the managing director, what does he do? Well, he says, I better phone the architect. So he calls the architect, arranges a time time and a date for him to come, and he's waiting for him in his office, but the architect never appears. He thinks to himself, where is this guy? And the minutes pass, and the minutes pass, and the minutes pass, and he decides to phone his secretary. Look, did that architect ever show up? Yes, he did. He's down in the basement. What's he doing in the basement? The problem's here on the 42nd floor. And so the managing director takes the lift all the way down to the basement, and he gives off to the guy, What are you doing down here? I told you that the problem's in the 42nd. The guy says, The problem may be presenting on the 42nd floor, but the real problem is here in the basement with the foundations. And I assume that the story's true because it went on to say, that there was a cleaner and the cleaner was building a garage at home and every night the cleaner decided to chisel out one more brick and to take it home in its, in its bag one by one by one until the entire structure was compromised. Now that illustrates for us how easy it is for us to slip into error. One brick, one piece, one inch at a time before the whole structure is completely compromised. And similarly, false teaching and apostasy within our churches, within our denominations, how does it begin? It begins by an eroding of biblical foundations. And so our call tonight is to detect error. Now look at verse 1. What is the source of this false teaching? Well, verse 1, it's deceitful or deceiving spirits. These are lies from the pit of hell, aren't they? Then verse 2, it's carried through deceptive teachers. So it's given by demons, and it's carried by deceivers. The tactics of the evil one never change. Right from the beginning in the garden, what did he come to do? He was the first false teacher and he came with the same method to tempt Eve to doubt that God had, his, had her best interests in mind. And so what does the enemy do? What does Satan do? What does the serpent do in the garden? It was a questioning of God's goodness in one hand and the distorting of the word on the other. Now what's the problem in Ephesus? Well, let's look at it. We'll see it here. We can trace it. Verse three. They're forbidding people to marry one another. And they're ordering them to, 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 to abstain from certain foods. Now, I want us to zoom out here for a moment. What, what, what does false teaching look like today in the world? Well, let's first of all talk about lies that are told. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I can guarantee that you have bought into some sort of lie. Some lie that you have, that you have been able to take into your life. A lie that you can live without Jesus and everything will be okay. A lie that you can pursue happiness in lots of different places. And as you pursue that happiness, that it will satisfy you. You just need a little bit more. A little bit more fulfillment in this area. A little bit more in this area. And then everything will be okay. And so the evil one tells you lies from the very pit of hell that without Jesus, you'll be okay. And these lies come in various different forms, don't they? They tell us that we can be our own Savior. You just need to go to the gym more. You just have to have a nicer body. You just need to have a nicer home. Various ways that the the evil one is sowing these lies into our lives. Lies in the world. But then there are also lies within the church. What does that look like for us? Well, there lies today within the church that God's goodness has, has been changed in some way, that, that whenever it comes to marriage and what the Lord has stipulated for marriage, that we have to start to question that or change it. Some are trying to do that. That God's word is distorted in people preaching and teaching the prosperity gospel, that you will have health and that you will have wealth. And you may say to me, John, that only happens in America, it only happens in Africa. It happens in County Armagh because I've listened to a sermon Within the past month, and it was taught in our own county. Come to Jesus, and everything will be well. You'll have health, you'll have wealth, you'll thrive. And then there's cultish theology, cultish theology that says that, that Jesus isn't enough, that we need more than Jesus, and this happens too in our county, that we need a, another experience, a second form of an experience, a higher level to reach, or that Jesus is really our life coach in other places it's taught, that, that we really just need to follow him, and, and then we'll be the best person that we could ever be, that he'll, he'll coach us to be this best person. No sense of repentance from our sin. See false teaching, errors flashing up on our screen. You know what it's like whenever you go to your laptop and this little window appears and you try to exit several times and it keeps popping up, popping up, popping up. Do we have a spiritual antennae that will pick this up tonight? False teachers who make God just like us, who don't submit to his greatness or to his word. There are those who are teaching falsely that they have to add things on. It's a form of legalism. There are those who are teaching that everyone will be saved. No need for repentance. There are others who are teaching that good works will save. The point being the false teaching is all around us. It is not distant. It is right here, and it is inside every church. Now, what do I mean that it's inside every church? Surely it couldn't be here. Well, with inside each of us, we have the potential for error. Each heart here tonight has the potential for this. And how does that look? How do we start to distort the gospel in our lives? Well, from week to week, what we do is we, we form a view of God that is not in line with His Word. We construct God. We construct a, an image of what we think God is like. We can think of Him like a lucky charm that we go to whenever things are bad, or we can start to airbrush God and airbrush out all the hard doctrines, all the things that we deem to be culturally unacceptable. And what we start to say is things like this. Well, I think God really is like this. Or, or I, I think that, I know the Bible says that in that little part, but, but it couldn't mean that. It really means something like this errors starting to pop up, okay? And we do it all the time. We all do it. We constantly distort who God is. And so what we need to do tonight is to be uprooting these weeds, these little seedlings of false teaching that is in, within our own hearts. Look at verse 7. We have to be on our guard. Timothy's told, have nothing, the ASV says, to do with irreverent or silly myths Or in the NIV it translates it, godless myths or old wives' tales. Have nothing to do with this. Come back to the truth. Come back to the the gold of Scripture. And so we as a church, are called tonight as we keep an eye on this is to be detecting error inside our own hearts, then in the broader church, and then in the denomination. And here's the thing, here's the thing that we have to be super careful about tonight that we should never take joy in calling out false teaching or condemning someone because of false teaching. False teaching should break our hearts as we hear it because it's leading people away from the truth and the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So never take joy in in discovering it. The book on the Church of Scotland that I was talking a little bit about earlier, the title of that book is called A Sad Departure. So we see this error, verse 3. We see the error around marriage and foods and really what does Paul then do and we'll not spend time focusing on this but he, he takes them, verse 4 into the doctrine of creation. You see he, he detects this error and how does he combat the error? He, he takes them into doctrine, into truth. And so the weed killer to the seeds of false teaching is a returning to truth of what God has said in his word. And that means if you're not a Christian here tonight, how do you start to to detect this? How do you start to combat against the error that you've been uh, uh, supping into your life? Well, it's coming to God's Word again. It's letting Him, as it were, brush out the floor of your life and starting from scratch. Accuracy about who God is and what He has done through Jesus is always the answer to false teaching. So that bridges us into our second point, declare the truth, verses 6 through to 16. How do we ensure that we don't fall into this error? How do we make sure that we do not become here at Hill Street a church whose light once burned brightly and now has been extinguished? How do we make sure that as a denomination that we don't do this? How do we make sure that as individuals that we don't do it? Well, look at verse 6. The call for Timothy, for the church, was to put these things before the brothers. Now, what are these things? Some commentators reckon it's the whole letter. Some reckon that it's just from verse 1. Some reckon that it's from verse 3. If we were to boil it down, really the truth of it all is, look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anybody look down on you. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Put the truth before the church, Timothy. Let it permeate and saturate the church. Be in the Word. Verse 13, devote yourselves. Devote ourselves to what? What should we do? Keep an eye on it. What should we do? Verse 13, devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation, and to teaching. Effectively, it's saying, read the Bible, explain the Bible, exhort one another, encourage one another, urge and insist to one another from the Bible. That's the charge. As Timothy keeps his eye on the church, he is to teach. Verse 15, immerse yourself in these things. Verse 7, avoid the silliness of the world. And so the call, it seems really simple for us, but the call is to declare the truth, to be in the truth, to have Scripture as the supreme authority. And so on the screen for us, our Westminster Confession of Faith, if you're visiting with us or you're recently a Presbyterian, or you're not a Presbyterian yet, and you're here tonight, or you're from a different denomination, the Westminster Confession of Faith is our framework that we use Uh, to understand Scripture. It keeps us uh, within the hedge, as it were. It's our buffers. Uh, And question three of the larger catechism has it like this. What is the Word of God? This truth that we're talking about. Well, it's the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, and they're the Word of God, the only rule of faith and obedience. See how it cuts away everything else? It's not our thoughts, it's not our opinions, it's not what the latest thinker comes up with, the only rule for faith and for obedience. And so, as we apply this into our lives, it's either this, we bend to God's word tonight as a church, or we make the word of God bend to us and to our desires. And we want to say that we should never, ever make God's Word bend to fit us or to suit us. Error and unfaithfulness occurs when we as individuals stray from the Word of God or when we as a church start to stray from the Word of God. Nigel and the elders here, if, if we started to stray from the Word of God, we hope that there would be uproar here in the church, rightly so. That you, would, that you would bring us before presbytery, that you would report us to presbytery and to the General Assembly, should never go beyond the Word of God. And it happens in church after church where the Word is not preached, and what happens? The light of the gospel goes out, doesn't it? The light goes out, first of all, from the front, from the pulpit, and then the light goes out physically in the building as the place is empty. You see, Jesus Christ has to be preached That's the call to the church. He must be preached in all of His glory and all of His majesty and in all of His splendor. He must be presented in in all that He does at all times. The love of Christ, the mercy of Him, the forgiveness, His grace, all shown to His people. Preaching the full counsel of God from Old Testament and from New Testament. From every book of the Bible. Giving people a a spiritual diet, an overview of who God is. Helping people see that it's one story of unfolding grace generation to generation. Teaching people. Bringing the Word of God to them. And so that's what Timothy is charged with. And that's what we are charged with. Now, Nigel mentioned a little earlier in the prayer meeting that we are approaching an election of elders in this church. And we were thinking largely about that in chapter 3. But here tonight, if, if you're thinking in a couple of weeks' time or in a few weeks' time, who, who should I nominate? Are there someone that will do all that they can to drag this church back into the Word of God? that will pin us into the Word of God, that will saturate each and every meeting and conversation with the Word of God? Are they going to be men who are of the Word? Declare the truth. Timothy, declare the truth. Every preacher, declare the truth. Every church, expect your minister declare to declare the truth. Not jokes, not stories, but truth. And how is he to teach it? Do you notice what he says? Teach these things then with authority. See in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But but teach, teach with authority. Don't shrink back, don't hide, don't be apologetic, just present the word of God as it is. Detect error. Declare the truth. And then lastly, what's the call for the church? Well then, demonstrate godliness. The old saying is true, isn't it? While the cat's away, the mice will play. And so we see it in workplaces all the time, don't we? Maybe the boss is off for the day. They've had to go to a meeting and the the coffee break takes 10 minutes longer. Or maybe instead of having one coffee break, there are two or three coffee breaks throughout the day. Or maybe in school, if you're a teacher, the headmaster's away, and so you think, oh, well, if I leave 15 minutes early, he'll never or she'll never know. We, We try to get away with things. The cat's away, the mice will play. Well, for the church, Jesus is away, so what will we do? All the way through the gospel accounts, what do we hear Christ tell us? Be ready, be on your guard, be ready, be on your guard, stay alert, stay awake, as the church. And it's easy for us, isn't it, to come along here and for everything to just be nice. The church is going okay. There are lots of people, and people seem to be really nice to one another. We talk to one another. Things are going well. It's nice. And as we get into our, our feeling of being nice, then we get comfortable. And as we get comfortable and recline, then we fall asleep. The call, be godly. When it comes to Christianity, we do not want to transfer that mentality of whenever the boss is away, we can play. Jesus says that he is away, and we have to be ready in our lives. So how do we, how do we talk about that here at church? Well, we try to use this little sentence. that's helpful in some ways that we, we live our lives as if we're living them to an audience of one before our God. And so following Jesus changes us. Look, look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths of old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train. This word in the Greek has this sense of going to the gym. And I know that for some people that's the worst thing that could ever happen in your life is going to the gym. But here we're talking about it in a spiritual sense. In some way, we should be going to the, the spiritual gym. As we come here, as we work hard, train yourselves for godliness. This will not just happen. You can't just download spirituality. It has to be trained. We have to go through the, the, the hard grind of it. So look at verse 12. He, he, he appeals to Timothy and he says, set before the believers an example in speech, in your conduct, in your love, in faith, and in purity. In other words, bring Jesus wherever you go. Bring the beauty of Jesus everywhere you go. This world is gray and dark. Bring the color of Jesus. And not so that people see us as being good, but so that people see the gospel as the alternative, the truth, the way that we should live. People should see us as being appealing, to come and to seek what the truth is, to see the holiness. To see Christ inside of us and be attracted to that. Not us, but to Jesus in us. And so the world is watching. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and I find this super challenging. It'll come up on the screen for us. He said this, and we're almost done. He said, I have no hesitation." again in asserting that the failure of the church to have a greater impact upon the life of men and women in the world today is due entirely to the fact that her own life is not in order. We want to have great impact. We want to see men and women and boys and girls come to know Jesus. We want to see our churches across the presbytery full again. What do we need? Well, we don't need to hit the recliner button and sit back. What do we need to do? We have to train ourselves in godliness. We have to be in the word. We have to be coming again to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I've messed up. I'm, I'm making a mess of this. I'm getting this wrong in my life, Jesus. Can you help me? Please forgive me. Help me grow in this. Grabbing a brother or a sister and saying, look, I'm really struggling in this aspect of my life. Can you you pray with me through it? Training in godliness. And look at verse 10. Why? Why do we do all of this? Why are we detecting error, declaring truth, and persevering in our godliness? Well, verse 10, for to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. This is why we keep an eye. This is why we mourn apostasy and false teaching. This is why we teach the Word. This is why we live to please our Father. This is why we battle on against the culture. This is why we pull up the weeds of false teaching in our own lives. This is why we live holy lives. Because... Our hope is set. Our gaze is fixed on the living God, on Jesus Christ our Savior. And so, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does that mean? It means that we will see Jesus. We will not depart from the truth. And those who listen to us, who encounter us, who rub shoulders with us, will see Jesus. And then they too will come to know him, we pray, as their Lord.